This morning we com- conclude the study we've been doing on the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read that fruit for us one more time. Galatians chapter 5. Of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, This morning, obviously, dealing with the last ingredient there, and that's the ingredient of self-control. During fall break, uh, my senior year in college, I got drunk. Now, before you post that somewhere, let me explain, okay? It's probably already out there. Y'all are so fast. Um, The reason I got drunk was because I had been given prescribed drugs by doctors preparing me for surgery, lung surgery, which I needed. And in order to to cut my chest open and do what they needed to do, they drugged me up pretty good. Well... Uh, It's amazing what happens when all restraints of your mind and words are just taken off. Uh, When I was slowly waking up from all of that drunk state, uh, there are people around me who have sufficient information to blackmail me, I know, uh, for things I said. Uh, One of the things I remember saying is, uh, and I I was raised to... Um, eat whatever was put before me uh, with contentment. Uh, I can't remember how many times my dad or mom said, your mom is not a short order cook. She does not cook what you want. She cooks what she wants. You eat it. You know, I was raised that way. So by the time I had this surgery, you know, I was taught to just be content with whatever they bring. But I still remember saying, what, you call this food? I'm about to die here. I need a good hamburger, french fries, and a chocolate shake, and I need it now. And I also remember saying to this, to this you know, gracious, nice nurse, nurse, I said to her, Miss Nursey, is it your habit to let one suffer through surgery then to die in pain because of your neglect. It's amazing what happens when you have no self-control. When you don't hold back. When you just tell it like it is. God says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Restraint may be your translation. Temperance may be your translation. The fruit of the Spirit is to moderate, to temper, to restrain us, to control us. And how contrary that is to the teaching in our world. And a lot of that teaching we have adopted as genuine. And that is, our world seems to say to us, You need to let it all hang out. You need to tell it like it is. You need, I just love it when he doesn't hold anything back. When he just gives everything to us. Where do you see that commanded in the scripture? To just tell everything you feel. 
to let it all hang out, to hold nothing back. Trust me when I say you don't want a God who tells it like it is, who tells you everything he feels, who pours out all of his wrath when he is fed up with you. We want and need a God who has tremendous restraint, tremendous self-control, who doesn't give us everything he's got, but who constantly pulls back. He tolerates my sin day after day after day. And it must infuriate. And I'm so grateful he pulls back his, his wrath and gives instead very controlled mercy and grace to a sinner like me. He says, I want my people to be a people who have my fruit. I want them to have my characteristics. I want them to have control. I want them to have restraint. I want them to be able to pull back when they would rather give it all. The fruit of the Spirit so contrary to what the world encourages day after day. Uh, let's, let's think about how we can be more like our God and exercise self-control. As I was thinking, you know, what do I give you? There's so really so much in the Bible on this subject. I decided to list for you, first of all, six, seven, eight uh, different areas where the Bible specifically refers to our need for control. Uh, and this is not an exhaustive list. These are the ones that the Spirit first brought to my mind. I figured if I did a survey and asked you where do we need control, the top two responses would be in what we eat or in what we drink. And so let's deal with that first. But I want us to move on. There's so much more than that. And I want us to think about our, our need to be more like God and to be controlled. But let's first of all think about the area of food and drink. Do we need moderation there? Do we need restraints? Do we need control? Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Interesting list. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Perhaps this would not have been where you would have gone right off. But I want to take you into this context just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 9, listing those who are not going to heaven. And says this, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Before we go further, just stop and think a minute. How all the sin, sinners and sin listed in those verses are, are, are such a, a product of the lack of restraint. The lack of control. Uh, that's the unrighteous. Uh, verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered. Great word, not controlled. 
by these things, by anything. Food is for the stomach. The stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality. Going back to that list. But for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. The, the body was not made for just enabling us to, to throw out all restraint. And just indulge in all pleasures. The body was not made for that. The body was made for the Lord. We don't eat and drink for the body. We eat and drink for the Lord. And he concludes it that way. I'll skip down verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Um. Well, it's a rabbit trail, but it's worth making maybe a little bit. I want to get at some point. There's a new Gnosticism in our society with this uh, gender fluidity thing going on. And that, that whole thing is that we don't, our bodies aren't that important. We get to decide what our bodies can be. Our bodies are very important. God says, I want you to glorify God with your body. I want you to glorify God with your gender. And, 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 and we've got a world that's, that's, that's beginning to say, no, I, I want you to just think about the inner you, the real you. And it's not a bodily thing at all. Forget bodies. That's why I call it a new Gnosticism. Let's just think about the spirit. Let's just think about the, the real you. Um, and our society's missing that. That there's, there are bodily functions God has designed. Eating and drinking are two of them. And we need to eat and drink unto the Lord, which requires an eating and drinking with moderation, with restraint, with control. Look at Proverbs 23, 20 and 21. Talk about our associations. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness with clothes, one with rags. Um, it's pretty clear. Uh, I don't need to ex expound on that further. It reminds me of a, a story I heard Bill Hobble say once. I think it's the only, I just thought it was funny, and it's the only one I ever, ever remembered by him. But Bill Hobbles had a, a luncheon kind of meeting with three other men, and they had a planned time to get together regularly to try to disciple one another. So they come to this, this luncheon where there's four of them, and as soon as they sit down and order, um, Frank says to Joe, I mean, I like the first words of supposedly the discipleship time, the food's on the table. And Frank blurts out across the table to Joe, Joe, why is it you consistently put into your mouth more food than God ever intended. And Bill Heibel thinks, good grief, he's the pastor, good grief, this is no way to start a discipleship meeting. And so he turns to Frank and says, Frank, this is, be quiet, hush up, this is no way to start discipleship. Why is it, he said to Frank, 
You consistently let out of your mouth more words than God ever intended. And I thought, great illustration. So many times we look at others and say, your problem is you, you don't control your body, your food and drink. And we forget the control area that God wants to control. It deals with so much more than our bodies. It deals with the words that come out of our mouth. It deals with the thoughts between our ears. So that's why I want to move on quickly. You know we need to control what we eat and drink. But are you also just as concerned about what you say? Are you just as concerned about controlling your thoughts and restraining your minds from, from thinking wrongly, but disciplining it to think rightly about many, many subjects? Let's move to the speech area. So we got the food drink area of our lives is speech. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 28. Proverbs 17. Verse 28, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. That's given rise to the proverb. You've heard it probably all your life, as I have. It's uh, much better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. You know, and that's what... Solomon's saying here, even a fool, you could be a fool if you just controlled your words. People wouldn't know it. You would be considered wise. Obviously, the application is we need to think about controlling what we say. We don't tell it all like it is. We don't let it all hang out. Our words need to be spoken with thought and direction uh, so that... Uh, Everything hurtful and harmful is not really spoken at all. Look at Ephesians 4.29. It's such an important passage to constantly have before us and memorize because you can't hardly go through a day without speech. Ephesians, unless you're alone, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, our words, it requires an enormous amount of self-control to only say those words. Those words which are good for the moment. You might can say certain words in different contexts. You, so you've got to take the time to judge the context you're in. It needs to be good for that moment. It needs to be good for that audience. It needs to be controlled in the realm of edification, what builds up, as opposed to saying words that might hurt and destroy and uh, pull down. One of the key passages on words is James chapter 3, and there's a lot there, but let me just read verse 2. James 3, verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You want to control your whole body? James is saying, starting with your words probably be a good place. Because if you were able to control what you said, 
you would have the power and the strength, the ability to control everything else in life. Your words are something that control you because what you begin to say is, is coming from what you've already thought. It's, it's making lots of judgments about your context and what the needs are. If, if you can really focus on controlling your words, you're going to have great restraint and self-control for so much more in life. But I want you to hear God saying, before you speak, hold it. Hold it. Restrain yourself. I don't want to hear everything on your heart. I don't want to hear everything in your mind. It wouldn't be good for me. It wouldn't be good for others to hear everything you think, everything you imagine. Hold it back because what you say is, is he says, it's like a match that strikes a fire and destroys much. So be careful. Let your words, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5, let your words be few. Because when we really stop to think, we, we have a lot less words that are going to be good. Many times than just words we throw out there. A lot of stuff we need to keep to ourselves. And our society is telling us completely the opposite. Number three, the whole complaint zone. Look at Philippians 2, verse 14. Philippians 2, verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. We are not those who grumble and complain. Do we need to repeat that? We are not those who grumble and complain. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, I am not one who grumbles and complains. Why? I'm a child of God. God says, prove it. You prove it by not grumbling and complaining. Because if we grumble and complain, we are not exercising control. We're not restraining ourselves to live within the designs and providences of God. The situation I find myself in, the body I find myself in, has been designed by my Creator. And He's directed my steps. If I grumble and complain, even if I'm just directing it to you, if I say, you make my life miserable, I'm ultimately saying it to God. God, I don't like what you designed. I don't like who you put me in front of. I don't like what I have to deal with. God has put us here in South Carolina. God has put us in this church. God has put us in our work environment. God has put certain people around us. I'm talking about, you know, we grumble about our husbands. We grumble about our wives. We grumble about our parents. We grumble about our children. We grumble about our work. We grumble about our things. We grumble about our money. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Who gave us all of this? Who designed this life for us? Who gave us our gifts and abilities? Who put us where we are? God is saying, I would like a little self-control here. Do not grumble 
and complain. Do not let it all hang out. I don't want to see that. You are not one of those who grumbles and complains. You are a child of God. A child of God falls in love with God. A child of God loves what God is doing and has done and wakes up each day and says, thank you, God, for the body you've given me. Thank you for the life you've given me. Thank you for the church you've given me. Thank you for the work you've given me. Thank you for all the things that surround me, whether it's pain or persecution, it's from your hand, it's good for me, I trust that. So I'm not one who grumbles and complains. And to be there requires enormous control. Fourth, the whole area of lust Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans 13, verse 14. If you can't keep up, get a smartphone, okay? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. People go into fleshly areas because they don't have fruit of the Spirit. They're not putting on... They're not being filled with the Spirit. They're not putting on Christ. He says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to be one that uh, is controlled. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, along with this says, uh, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. A lust is an evil desire, as it's being described here. It is a desire to, to, to have something and control something and use something that has not been given to you. It flows out of the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. Exodus 20:17. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house or your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's things. And the reason you would want those things is because they give you something. Rather, you should be content with what God has given you. It says, flee those youthful lusts. The kids just want more and more and more and more. Be content. Control your desires to the wife God's given you, the husband's God's given you, the job God's given you, the, the work, the ox that God's given you, the revenue that God's given you. It's, it's, it's a control, not a, a lust after more and different. God is wanting us to control these things. The fifth area, finances. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Matthew 6. 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where the tre- your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you control your spending so that you can properly invest in what places treasure in heaven? See, the whole financial area requires enormous control. As, as I deal with non-Christians who are constantly in debt and, and can't make their payments, I'm seeing 
they're missing what God has blessed us with. That's the Spirit. The Spirit can say, that's frivolous, that's not heavenly, that's not a good investment. I know it's impulsive, pull back, restrain yourself. And save, and save for heaven, save for glory. The world doesn't think that way. For the world, this is all there is. And after that, destruction. The fruit of the Spirit gives us control, so our finances begin to be used for the kingdom of God and for our future in heaven. And so many are missing that. The average American is spending uh, 0.2% more than they make consistently. But it shouldn't be so with the child of God because the child of God has his spirit of control and that affects the whole financial realm. God has made us to be stewards of our bodies, stewards of our possessions, so that we are those saving for eternal rewards. Number six, the, the temper, the zone. Um, anger. You remember deeds of the flesh or outbursts of anger? God wants us to be restrained. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 29, in the whole area of our temper, our anger. Uh, Proverbs 14 29 says, He who is slow to anger has, a, has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. You see someone who should get mad and doesn't get mad? God says, tremendous wisdom. They're willing to lose the fight because they're thinking about the eternal war. And so they, they don't lash out quickly. They... they they restrain themselves. They control themselves. Look at chapter 15, verse 1 of Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's times you don't want to fight. You just don't. You want to, to cool this down. It doesn't make sense to fight this fight. This battle will cause great destruction. There's, there's something better, and with control you get there. Look at chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 32. It says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So that bully who comes up and he's, he seems to be strong, and he, he should be fought. Here's somebody who said, I choose not to fight. And God says, and that's really stronger than the mighty. Because you're thinking long-term and the benefits of long-term. Chapter 29 of Proverbs, uh, verse 11, says, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. A fool always loses his temper. The wise man is controlled, self-controlled. There's restraint. Um, how many are given to outbursts of anger? Seek it not. Uh, seek to be controlled by God's Spirit. Um, the mental zone, I talked about it. We need to learn to control our thoughts. Look at Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. You're going to know this passage when you get to it, uh, but maybe have not thought about it from the application of just being controlled. Philippians 4. Verse 89 says, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, 
whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, what do you do? You think about those things, which means what? You have to control your thinking. Satan is constantly giving me thoughts I don't need. People are constantly giving me thoughts I don't need. The radio is constantly giving me thoughts. When I read articles, they constantly give me thoughts. I have to to filter everything that is coming into me. You need to control your thoughts. They're constantly going to things that will not benefit. Um, And God wants us to have huge benefit. Look at Romans 12. Again, think about just your mind here. Romans 12, the first couple of verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, again, the emphasis on bodies, our society is going against this, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By thinking right thoughts, by renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So you must constantly control your mind to think God's thoughts after God. To not think the thoughts, that would just be easy. But think controlled thoughts. Restrain your mind. Restrain your thinking. I love uh, 2 Corinthians 5, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 5 says, Paul says, my, my job, my life seems to be casting down every speculation, destroying it in every way I possibly can so that I can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What a goal. I want to I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's controlled thinking. And any other thought that comes into my life or into my mind, I want to destroy it. Because it's, it's speculation. God's Word is true. So I want to grab those thoughts and make them obedient to God's Word. Or I want to let them go. That's controlled thinking. And that should be part of our educational dynamic. That we're training our kids to think. To control their minds. So that they can think God's thoughts after Him. Well, one more. The time zone. The time zone. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 16. Lord willing, I'll be back in Ephesians 5 soon. Coming back to being filled with the Spirit. And here, Ephesians 5.16 says, We need to be making the most of your time because the days are evil. Or you may have a translation, I like the word redeem, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, The time is in front of us. Do we buy it up? Do we use it wisely? How do we structure our days so that uh, our, our... so that our time is used wisely. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, give you an interesting uh, 
passage, Jesus telling his disciples, the apostles uh, gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. You think that would be good? They've done a lot. They've taught a lot. Jesus' response, and he said to them, Come away by yourself to a secluded place and rest a while. For there are many people coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Redeem the time. Sometimes that means you need to rest. And that's what he told his disciples. He said, guys, I, I, I like all that you're doing. I like that you're preaching and teaching and you're giving a, a lot of good stuff away. But you need to eat. And you need to rest. And that needs to be built into your ministry. Sufficient eating and rest. So let's, let's, let's quit. Come away. Let's, let's get away from what you're doing, even though it's good stuff. He was teaching them how to redeem the time, to control their daily schedule. It's easy to work. It's easy to overwork. It's easy to be lazy. All of these things need to be controlled so that we are using the 24-7 God gives us each week in the way God intended. It can't happen without self-control. Well, I hope you've begun to see you and I've got a problem with self-control, don't we? I mean, this is a huge topic. It's not just about eating or drinking. You say, oh, I got that, check. There's so much more to the fruit of the Spirit that distinguishes God's people from everything else. Um, I like to lose it just like you do, you know, at times. But the Spirit is so gracious to constantly remind me, David, pull it back, pull it back. Restrain yourself. Be controlled. Especially going, I mean, this. do you ever get tired of the speed limits changing around here? Because they keep getting slower. I, don't, I like to rev it up sometimes and go. How many of you here, you remember when Reed Road Extension was a gravel road? You know, and there's a dirt road right up the hill. And New Covenant Church, we met up there and had a sunrise service because we owned that piece then. And we would talk about how we're going to meander down this path to the pond. And we were thinking, this is so cool, we're out in the country. And everything in front of us just scrubby pines and clay dirt. And then the hospital comes in and builds this huge mega complex. And that requires this two-lane road called 81. Remember when you could go 55 from here all the way to interstate? Two-lane road, just, man, man, it was fun, didn't see anybody. And then they changed it from two lane to four lane to five at places. And they changed the speed limit from 55 to 45. And now they've gone to 40. And then they've gone to 35. And some places it's 25. And I want to rev it up. And I just want to go. And if I do, there's accidents. And there's tickets. And there's financial consequence. And then I get depressed. And I eat and drink too much. It's easy to lose control. It is. So pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit and control me.
Because as we sang, I am so prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. So prone to leave the God I love. I need your restraints. And I need your control. And I need it in so many areas of life. So how do we get it? How do we rev up this fruit a little bit instead of rev up our lack of control? How can we cultivate the fruit of control? And that's some thoughts I'll leave you with and Lord willing give you even more as we get back into Ephesians 5. First of all, we, we're going to be strengthening spiritual fruit when we focus on the Spirit. He's the producer of this. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 17 says, That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and He will be in you. And then over at verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Pray that God would fill you with His Spirit. He's the helper. And what does the Spirit help us with? He helps us remember. He helps us with our thoughts to renew our minds according to the will of God. So obviously we need to be reading the Word. We need to be saturated in the Word of God. But then we need to be filled with the Spirit so the Spirit will remind us of what we've read and studied in the Scriptures. And the Spirit will lead us into truth. The world doesn't get the truth. The world doesn't get the Spirit. We have power within us. Greater is He that is within us than he that's in the world. So Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. Be praying, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. I need you. I need help to get to the truth. And I need truth to control everything I do. So we praying for the Spirit. Be filled to wake up and say, God, I don't want to grieve. I don't want to quench the Spirit. I want to be filled. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. Because that affects everything I say, everything I lust after, everything I think, everything I eat, everything I drink, everything I spend. It affects everything. So if we want this spiritual fruit, we must seek it from its source, and that is the Spirit. Second, you, you can't have the Spirit without having the truth. Because He's the Spirit of truth. Look at Colossians chapter 1. 9 and 10. Colossians 1. 9 and 10. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all or every respect, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Clearly, you see, the Scriptures are key to our growth. Paul says, I pray for that. I pray, I pray, I pray that you will have a knowledge of His will, that you will have the tool of His truth, 
Because without that, there's no way you can please God in every respect. The only way to please God is by doing His will, not your own. So you're, you're praying for that. You're seeking that. You must um, be workers, doers of the truth of God. You must know the truth. So uh, pick one of those areas where you're most out of control and apply this. You wake up and say, God, fill me with your spirit. Spirit, remind me of the truth. Well, have you spent the necessary time learning the truth? Pick an area. Let's say it's anger. What's the truth you know that you're asking the Spirit to remind you of when you get in this situation, you work with a person you always get angry at? You need to do the research. I pray that you have the knowledge of God's will on the subject of anger. And if you don't have the, the, the knowledge of God's will on the subject of anger, look it up. Get a concordance. Google it. Whatever it takes. Say, God, give me Scripture for this area of my life. Get that area. Meditate on that. Memorize that. Ask the Spirit to constantly teach and control you according to that truth. That's what we're talking about here. I want you to be filled with knowledge for this area so that God can use it. It's it's putting bullets in your gun. It's arming yourself. You remember the armor of God, those kids. You were in Bible school, covenant kids, whatever. Put on the... The breastplate of truth. Arm yourself with the truth of God. Have the sword of the Spirit, which is truth. Ephesians 6. Put on this truth and then let the truth control you. So that you can deal with the arrows of the evil one that's constantly causing you to burst out in anger. But not just anger. Whatever your area is. Whatever you're struggling with. Be armed with truth. That's what I pray for you. That's what you need to be praying for your kids with. Praying for your parents. Praying for one another. You know, boy, you need this. Okay, well, pray for that. That you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in that area. So that you can be transformed and move on from that area to another. Third, we'll get self-control by the Spirit, by the Scriptures, by the sword, already jumped into that, uh, Matthew six seventeen. the sword of the Spirit is uh, the Word of God. Look at Matthew 4, Matthew 4, and it begins, verse 4, temptation of Jesus with Satan, and, and this is fairly common, but maybe you've forgotten it, Matthew 4, verse 4, uh, Jesus answered and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What's Jesus doing? Satan tempts Jesus, said, Jesus, you've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I bet you're pretty hungry. Why don't you turn these stones over here into bread? Make it hot, fresh, now, you know, boss bread. Fresh or not, still in the oven. Or make it wonder bread. It builds your body in 12 ways. Whatever. Turn it in to nice warm bread. Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. How does he respond to Satan? He responded with the word of God. Direct quote from Deuteronomy. He responds to temptations with the word of God. He does it three times here. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Satan says, let's, let's test, test God on this. And he said, no, 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 no. 
God's word says don't do that. And then down in verse 10, then Jesus said to him, go Satan, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him. How did Jesus deal with every temptation? He dealt with it by giving out the sword of truth. Satan comes and said, let me stick you with this. And what he stuck him with was a Bible verse. He was constantly renewing his mind with the will of God. And if we're going to deal with the temptations that are in front of us, we must have the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of truth. So that we can, we can say, I have a choice here. I can either do this or do this. Which one's God's will? I'm going to take that one. That's the sword Jesus was constantly using. And then fourth, we'll get more control by the surgery of pruning. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. I never had this course in seminary, but we all need one, and that's a course on mutilation. It's a course on radical surgery where you mutilate, you cut something off in a radical way. Here it is, Jesus says, verse 29 of Matthew 5, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. That's, that's mutil, mutilation, that's radical. It is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You can't get away from the graphic illustration here. And what Jesus is doing by being so graphic is trying to wake us up to how serious our sins are. Your sins are so horrible. They are destroying you. They're like gangrene on your arm. You better cut it quick or you will lose the whole body. And that's the way he's telling us to treat our sins. When you see that you're constantly out of control, seek mercy, seek forgiveness, seek to radically deal. Do you need to to cut off the TV? Do you need to cut off the internet? Do you need to cut off the books for a while? Do you need to cut off an association? Do you need to cut off your credit cards? I mean, what do you need to do? It may be radical, But it needs to happen or you're not really treating sin seriously. And Jesus says if you want to move forward, you must treat sin in a radical manner. You must turn from it. You must cut yourself off from it completely. And people will say, hey, you don't really need to go to such an extreme. That's what they'll say. And Jesus is saying, but yes, you do. You don't play with sin. You don't just kind of keep sin around. You have to be radical or you won't be controlled. You won't move forward. You won't be transformed to the image that God wants us to have. Well, if you were to go by my house today, you might say, boy, the preacher's yard's looking pretty rough. If I don't spend time in that yard, it gets ugly. I've spent a lot of time in that yard this year. I had the best grass on the neighbor in the street. It's all dead now. You know, this, especially the part in the front where people see. I got a different yard in the back. God's been gracious back there. But the, the front's ugly. And um, because, you know, I'm not spending any time or money on watering. I hate it even when my wife does it. I don't like to water. 
I refuse it. And stuff doesn't grow without water. And we haven't had but eight days of rain since May the 1st. So things are burning up. Our lives are the same way. Without structure, without control, they turn ugly pretty quick. If we don't control what's going on in our lives, if we don't invest, everything goes out of control. And we don't bear fruit. We don't bear the image that God so much wants the world to see and say, those are my people. Those are the ones that have my spirit. Those are the ones that have what the world doesn't have and the world needs. They begin to see that as we bear fruit and exercise the gifts God's given us. They see us and glorify God. So let's pray that God will help us Tend our gardens. Tend our own lives. Control in such a way the weeds are gone and the fruit is born. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for your spirit. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Every one of us here, we've messed up and, and we've lost control of areas of our lives. They're not completely turned over to your spirit and to your truth. They're not directed by you. They're directed by our passions and pleasures and by this world only mindset. Father, transform us. Renew our minds. Help us to radically deal with our sins, to turn from it, to repent, and to turn back to Christ and his word, to be filled again with your spirit. Lord, uh, change us to be like Christ more and more day after day. Father, thank you that we can gather in a world that's out of control and find hope in the kingdom of God, in the church of Christ, in the God of this uh, church, in our head. You're our glory. Lord, let us come to you. Let us be changed by you. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.